Thank you for joining Talks of the Triumph. My name is Matthew Pfeiffer. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about financial abuse with the trusted banker, someone who I connected with on TikTok. I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you, and I will talk to you soon. I'm excited to let all of you know that my book, Oh Shit, I Think They're a Fucking Narcissist, is now available. You can find it linked in my bio, or you can go to my website, mattpfeiffercoaching.com. The reason why I wrote this book is that I wanted to make people very clear on what narcissism looks like, what the criteria behind it looks like, uh, whether someone that you're a coworker with is a narcissist, whether someone you are a family member with is a narcissist. You're going to make you're going to be able to tell the difference between someone who is overly confident and someone who's narcissistic. There's a very big difference. And are you going to be able to tell when you meet and when you encounter someone who is narcissistic? Looking forward to getting this into your hands. Make sure you go to uh, my website or you go to the link in one of my bios, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok, or you can go to the link in the bio in the show notes of this show. Thank you for uh, thank you all for all of your support. I'm looking forward to it. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining Toxic to Triumph. My name is Matthew Pfeiffer. I am your host, and I am here with the trusted banker, and she is with thetrustedbanker.com. And I'm excited to join for you guys to join this podcast because we're talking about uh, financial abuse. It's something that not enough people talk about, and not just about financial abuse how to recover from financial abuse, because quite often that is the part of the relationship that can be the most intimidating, recovering credit-wise, recovering uh, financial, financially. And especially if you are leaving a relationship later on in life, we have to talk about retirement. We have to talk about raising kids. There are so many aspects when it comes to finances, even though uh, that may be may not be the priority when you leave. It does need to be something that is uh, considered when you leave. And so uh, thank you, Trusted Banker, for joining us. Uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know you're calling from Costa Rica, and you know that I'm jealous about uh, how beautiful it is down there. And just so you know that, you know, the one of my retirement plans, personally, I'm considering retiring in the, either Costa Rica or somewhere in Mexico myself. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about Costa Rica. Well, thank you, Matt, for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Yay. Um, Yes, I'm in Costa Rica. I am a retired banker that just entered back into the industry, actually. But I was a banker for 22, 23 years. And as a banker, I wasn't in the branch. I wasn't a teller. I was in operations, compliance, and risk management. And so being in that type of field, you find yourself giving good advice, helping people build their businesses and buy homes. And so when I left corporate in 2016, I started the Trusted Banker online on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, now TikTok and other places. And so, yeah, here I am helping businesses get started manage their credit, get bankable credit, and um, learn how to create multiple streams of income. I'm in Costa Rica, um, and I love it. I have to be near the water, warm weather, tropical. It's great for my skin, hair, and me. So, yeah, I'm loving it. Sorry if you're jealous. And that's a big change for you, right? You, you were, I think you were somewhere uh, up north. Originally prior. from Detroit, Michigan. Uh-huh. So it's a real big change. Leaving mm-hmm. the city and yeah, decompressing right. and now being near the ocean is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So before we get into the financial abuse, let's talk about 
the what you were just talking about in terms of people who are starting a business, people who are uh, just personal credit and personal finance in general. What are some common things that you see with people who are coming to see you on a regular basis? They don't have their legal structure correct. Um, a lot of times they're using social security numbers to do their business. So they might have just fallen into a business or got a business idea and wanted to get it up and running. Um, being impatient as a small business owner is really detrimental to the not, you, it hurts the business because it can be detrimental to the success of the business. So take the time and do the legal structure correctly, LLC, S-Corp, C-Corp, partnership, whatever you're doing, put the pieces into place, file your organizational papers with your state, make sure you get your business license, make sure you have a business address, lots of things you need to put in place in order to build out the business as a separate entity from yourself because you want to protect yourself, your credit, your family from any liable liable things that might happen with the business because you never know mm-hmm. what might happen with the business. And I'm glad that you said you, you talked about being patient because when we segue over into financial abuse, quite often people want to recover overnight, especially if they lived a very comfortable, comfortable life when they were with the person who was abusive. And, you know, but uh, let's talk about when someone is still in the relationship and we, and they start to realize that this person has controlled all the finances, that everything is going in into one account. Everything is all about them all the time. They're overspending quite often. You spend $20 in gas. They are throwing a fit, but they can spend $5,000, $6,000, $10,000 on vacations with, without, without even without even breathing, so to speak, right? And so um, tell us a little bit about when you realize that you're in this and you're trying to get out, what are some ways that people can um, begin to kind of pad their finances with an exit strategy that I, that I always talk about to be able to get out when they're watching the finances like, like a hawk? Well, you brought back some great memories, Matt. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm smiling because, yes, yeah, so now – those are the comments that I would get. So when I got out, when I was working on getting out my relationship, because I was married to, I consider a narcissist. I don't know what he was, but he was a, not a nice person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had made a plan. Mm-hmm. I made a plan to exit. I didn't have a job at the time. He had strapped me with the care of his mother. So he brought her home unbeknownst to me. So all of a sudden I was taking care of somebody else and then wasn't working. And so I made a plan because I knew I was going to leave. And I actually announced to him like several years before that I was going to leave. But of course, he didn't believe me. And the plan was to find employment um, because, of course, he had to go to work every day. And some kind of reason we moved so far out. I was so isolated. He had to leave early in the morning. He didn't get home till late at night. So I found employment. I set up my own bank account. I set up my own direct deposit. And it was a job where it was sales, so it was commission-based. So I knew I could make a lot of money at one given time, and that one check would come, and I'll be able to do a lot of things like move, get an apartment, and blah, blah, blah. So if you're not lucky enough to make a bulk check or a bulk load of money, find a way to make money under the table. I used to be a a manicurist back in the day, good cash money. There's a lot of cash jobs that you can find to make money Um, Waiting tables, tips are great. 
but find a way to make money where you don't have, where they are not aware of how much money you're making. Um, like I said, he was gone from a long period of time. So I could make money during the day, be back at home. And he would not know. He did not know that a check was coming, that I had set up all that, those other things. And so when the check came, that's when I made my move. But it took two and a half years. Right. I, didn't, I had a plan. So it took two and a half years to get all that going. Mm-hmm. And so that that took two and a half years. I just want to pick your brain on. Things that, you know, a lot of people that I work with, they're out in the middle of nowhere. You know, I'm in Dallas. You are in Detroit. You're obviously now in Costa Rica. We have a lot of resources. For some people, the only resource they may even have is the Internet. Um, what type of – but but with the Internet, they now have access to be able to do things from home. What type of home-based businesses or home-based jobs would you encourage for people to find or be able to do like you said, while they're, while the person is out, while they're working or things that they can do on the side. So I just started researching this because I'm going to do a TikTok about it. Uh (laughs) But um, there are several ways to make money online. Of course, you know, you can do medical billing, you can do customer service. Most industries are looking for customer service agents and you can work from home and they'll give you the phone equipment and they'll give you the stuff to set, to set you up. Um, as long as you can answer the phone. And once you become a customer service rep, you can work for three, four, five companies um, with that equipment. And most of the time they'll have contracts to help manage that. Amazon has a great way for reselling. I've been researching that where you can create an Amazon uh, second seller account and you second sell things on Amazon and make cash from that. Um, There are a lot of ways to make money online using your computer. I have to think of some more. I know a lot of people forget about eBay. I mean, eBay was, you know, at the beginning of um, the, in the early 2000s was really popular, but it still is. Yeah, I just set up an eBay account and I, I, I haven't figured that one all the way out yet, but mm-hmm. you have to have some things. So people I know that do eBay very well go to if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you can find estate sales to go find stuff to bring it back to resell it again. eBay is a good source of mm-hmm. uh, money and all the online bill payment systems can help funnel that money right into your account. Mm-hmm. I know there's Upwork and Fiverr where um, you can be a freelancer, right? And there, and a lot, there's a lot of people who are doing very well on those two sites, uh, especially if you have a particular skill like uh, web design. And a lot of times you don't even necessarily have to be that great at it because the people who are struggling with it quite often, you know, they, uh, you know, they literally have no experience with web design or, or anything like that. So, um, so there's, there's a lot of ways, thankfully, right. To be able to, to be able to make money these days. Absolutely. Absolutely. And tell us, so once someone is actually out, you know, this is where the, the patience actually comes in where people begin to get impatient with, um, with the fact that they're now in a one or two bedroom apartment. They might be crashing on their family's, uh, couch, those sorts of things. Um, and they're just so uncomfortable with the fact that they're not in this big two, three, five bedroom home, right? What is it like to actually recover from financial abuse when you're literally recovering from absolute nothing? Uh, so I went from a 4,000 square foot home to a two bedroom apartment in the hood. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was serene. It was peaceful. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I did not care. <laughs> I did not care because the peace of mind that I got from being away from the situation I was in was 
what I it was well worth it. It was a hundred percent well worth it. I was at the brink of either about to have a nervous breakdown or yeah, that was it. It was, I was at the point where it was either me or him. And I, and so I'm not going to have a nervous breakdown and let him win. So I won. So that's not the focus. Um, the focus is your end goal, right? What's your end result? I had a, like a five-year plan. So yeah, I moved out. And for the first year I knew I was going to be in the hood. Mm-hmm. I didn't bring my kids over that often because I didn't feel like it was safe. They definitely couldn't be there by themselves, but I was very close to the family home where I could still get there. I was one mile away, get there mm-hmm. to take them to school and pick them up from school, do homework, cook, clean, and all that. Cause again, he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So for the first year, that's what I did until I built up my income so I could move somewhere in a safer neighborhood mm-hmm. where better schools and all those kind of things. But that, but I did create a, a five year plan on what mm-hmm. I needed. The first thing I did was go back to college and finish my degree. So yeah. You mentioned something about swallowing your pride, and I tell people I don't say swallow your pride, but I do say that uh, that you do need to you do need to be pretty humble, and it, and it is very humbling because you're going to have to accept the fact, and you're going to have to actually do what I tell people all the time: set some boundaries at the fact that you can't afford the major Christmas presents, maybe the way that you did before, right? The way that people, the way that people are expecting, right? And they might actually ask you about it. I know me personally telling people I can't go out for drinks the way that I used to. I can't just hang out the way that I used to, you know? Um, and so, and sometimes people question and people wonder what the hell is going on, you know? And it, it's very, um, it can be, it can be embarrassing, right? To, to go through those, those type of situations. Um, you know, do you have any advice or do you remember feeling like that going through that at all? I was, I guess I had become so isolated that that wasn't the issue. And I remember the first Christmas, I literally had no food and 70 bucks Mm -hmm. where he was buying all the, you know, still spending a thousand dollars. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have anything to any money to get my kids any gifts, but I had become so isolated and we had moved so far out. Nobody was out there anyway. So nobody really miss me we did do a, a huge christmas brunch every year so i still showed up for that but outside of that no and i guess that wasn't my focus i really didn't care what i just had to get things in order yeah. i wanted to make sure that my kids knew that there were healthy relationships and a mm-hmm. different way to do things so yeah i, I didn't really care what people th- i don't care what people think yeah, i see and what was that process like to actually start the recovery process so obviously step one was for you to leave for you to have your own place but when did things begin to when did when did you actually start that rebuilding process and and what did that look like um as soon actually as soon as i as soon as i left i believe i um so i didn't when i left i did not let him know where i was Mm -hmm. Um, so that I did that for a while. So nobody knew where I lived except for my father and the kids when I finally brought them over for like a month later. Um, and the recovery process was going to work, making that money, saving up the money and finding a new area that I wanted to live in that had good schools and was still was closer to what the family, the church, their dance lessons. Like I needed to relocate and figure out how to do that and reestablish myself before I knew I needed to do that before filing for divorce. I knew I needed to show stability. I needed to have them enrolled in school. I needed to have them in their, you know, 
I need, I knew I needed to create a new life for them in order to file for, um, divorce and custody. You did it before you did it before you even divorced, because that's a, that's a big question that I get is a lot of people think that they need to stay in the home before, um, before the actual divorce proceeding. So, um, so you, you did it before the divorce though. So I left the, the marital home and in retrospect, I believe you should file those papers. And my home was big enough. We had a whole mother-in-law suite. I could have lived on the other side of the house, mm-hmm. which is what I should have done because of the rhetoric that he used mm-hmm. about abandonment and mm-hmm. um, other negative conspiracy theories that he mm-hmm. put together for the divorce and to the kids, which created um, negative thoughts in yeah. my kids' head. Yeah. But um I just couldn't see living in the house with him going through the divorce. I guess it's the personal choice. If you feel like you're going to be in danger, mm-hmm. like I moved out when he went to work because I knew I couldn't get out the house any other way. I really, I had already been living in the mother. I had already moved out of the bedroom maybe a year prior to, or at least mm-hmm. six months. So I was already living separately, but I knew that divorce filing was going to cause him anger. Yeah. So I just didn't want to be bought. And I was at the end of my rope. I mean, I had exhausted. And I know hindsight is, is always twenty twenty, but I can tell you that you did the right thing because uh, a lot of people don't realize that when you have someone that's that controlling, you know, a lot of times people give them the benefit of the doubt and they say, and they assume like, okay, this person is controlling, but in some situations they're not physically abusive or they're not violent or, um, but the problem is, is that just because they haven't doesn't mean that they won't. And they're doing all those things for a reason. And you have to remember that uh, that all. So I don't know how long you were married, but I always let's just say that people were married for 10 years. Uh, for 10 years, you were with this person in every single disagreement. If you think about all of the disagreements that you have and the tantrums, the anger, the outburst. And th- those were outbursts over things like lunch and over what you were wearing, those sorts of things. And the divorce, right, when those papers are served, that is the biggest disagreement that you guys are ever going to have. And so you can imagine that it's whatever those tantrums, whatever you experienced the, during, during the marriage, times 10 when those divorce papers are served. And, and it begins to, and it doesn't just, it's not like just one day of that. It's a consistent escalation until those papers are served because they know that there's that you have one one foot out the door, right? And so, um, so you you know, you hindsight you may have think that thought that things could have been different, but you likely did the right thing. Ooh, what you just said, one hundred percent correct. Mm-hmm. Thank you because now you give me a different. Okay, so I agree. I, I did do the right thing because when those divorce papers came, ooh, the phone call I got. Mm-hmm. It was it was crazy, and I had already been gone a year, and yeah. I I paced myself because I knew I was going to get. He turned into a different person. Now, once mm-hmm. the divorce papers hit, he turned into a totally different yep. person, um, and I was not prepared. Nope. <laughs> a lot but of people I don't out- know that that is uh, you know we hear all these horrible horrible stories on the news and on TV. That part when you take when you actually take your power back, and this you know. I don't want to scare anyone from actually leaving, but it does, you do need to be realistic about this is that part is the most dangerous part of it. And so you have to be 
Um, you know, this is not going to be a situation where you sit down and you sit down at a coffee shop and say, Hey, you know, things just aren't working out. That's, it's just not going to happen. And so, um, we have to accept the fact that this person is not where they need to be mentally, emotionally, and, um, and get yourself to safety before that part of it happens. Yeah. Another thing that I did when I first left is I counseled him to say, Hey, you know, this is just a trial. Let's just see what's going to happen and let's talk to the kids and let them know we're working on things, but this is not permanent. I knew it was going to be permanent, Mm -hmm. but I didn't want him to think it was going to be because I knew I wasn't going to be able to afford to file for until I got my money together. So that first year was all about him stalking me, then trying to be ultra, uh, what's it called, the romantic thing, Mm -hmm. and then mad and romance, but it was never anything. He kind of left it alone. But yeah, once I filed the papers, mm-hmm. totally different. So yeah, yeah that yeah. hoovering, that hoovering phase that you're talking about that, you know, that, that going back and forth between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, and a lot of people, they, they allow for that to confuse them. And I tell them it's the same person, right? Because yeah. the good that you see in them is really just the bad in disguise because abuse doesn't work without some good times in between because they need the good times um, to allow for your guard to come down. Um, yeah, good. With now, with all that being said, when you, when did things begin to really start to turn around for you? You know, obviously you, you, you mentioned that you went back to school, you, um, you went back to school. What was your first job out of school? Did you get hired from your internship? What, what was that like? And when did things begin to start turning around? I want to say, um, the day I graduated, I got a job offer. So mm-hmm. that's number one. The day I graduated, I was on my way to Paris. Mm-hmm. That's number two. So I had to tell my new employer that I was um, going to France. And when I got back, I could start. And the degree just helped to open up doors. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back to school and I changed my whole, I was pre-med. I was, you know, chemistry major. I just went back to find out how can I graduate the soonest, mm-hmm. not trying to finish the old dreams from years ago. If you can do, if you want to do that, you may maybe do that later. You can always go back, but I need I knew I needed to get that degree to open up doors and that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. So I had one year left when I reduced my degree to sociology mm-hmm. from pre-med. Mm-hmm. So and then so you, you're hired and then in terms of like budgeting and structuring finances uh, for someone who's coming out of these types of situations, what does that actually look like? Um, oh, make sure that you, so, okay. So know how much you're going to be making if you get a new job. Hopefully if you have a salary, you know what that salary is going to look like and try to get, you still are not ready. I say a year after, cause you need to learn how to manage your money because mm-hmm. more than likely you weren't, and you want to be able to save money. Mm-hmm. And so make sure that you don't all go out and get the biggest and the brand. I still was not at my final destination. Right. I moved to another cheap apartment, but in a nice area, because at that time, my focus was quality schools. Mm-hmm. So I found one of the best um, public school systems in Metro Detroit for my kids to go to school to. And get them enrolled there because they had been in private school prior to in a real good school system. So I wanted to make sure that I got them in a good school system. So my focus still wasn't where I lived. I went from an, I went to another two bedroom apartment, you know. So the girls still had to share rooms. They, you know, they were they were still they still lived periodically in that four thousand square foot house. Mm-hmm. They had mama share a room in a two bedroom apartment, mm-hmm. but that wasn't the focus. The focus was education and stability 
and in a better neighborhood. So, and just to kind of piggyback off of something that you just said, I know a lot of people who are in that situation, they think that they assume and they think that they're not providing for their child appropriately. And they think that they're causing more damage to their child because they're in an apartment or in the, uh, the abuser is in a large house. A lot of times they feel bad about that, but your kids, a lot of times, guess what? They really just don't care. They, they love mom. They love dad. If you, if you're the father in the situation um, and they, what your kids want and what your kids need is actual stability, right? It is the fact that they feel free. They can talk to you. You know, do they miss some of the conveniences? I'm sure that at times they do, but at the same time, what your kids need is they need a good, they don't need two healthy parents. They need at least one healthy parent that provides good structure, regardless if it is a mansion or if it's a, if it's a one bedroom uh, apartment. Yeah, that's a good point. But one of my one of my kids did come back and say, I wonder what my life would have been like if we would have stayed out there. Some of the friends I made are doing, you know, so well mm-hmm. for networking purposes and mm-hmm. stuff. But all of their lifelong friends that they made are now down here where we where we moved to because I literally had the home. I don't know. He wasn't going to. I had the Kool-Aid home. All mm-hmm. the kids came there. Yeah. Lots of sleepovers. I was carpooling everybody. I was totally involved. Um, and they still have all those friends that I had kids that were homeless at my home, mm-hmm. kids that had parents that didn't cook meals. So I was, I would cook every, um, Monday and Wednesday and the kids knew it. They would come over after school and eat. So I created an environment. Um, I think, you know, kids are going to have that something yeah. that made them comfortable, build friendships and, um, be, be as happy as possible. Yeah. I think one of the things that you're daughter was missing and maybe and she uh she'll likely um understand it a little bit i know she's older now but she's going to start to get it is um is she's going to start to see what the other side has to offer right and how controlling it and how controlling it actually is and even if their friends were doing well that doesn't necessarily mean that that would have been the good environment for you either Right. And she understood. She did come back like well, last year, or the year before and say, you know what, mom, it's OK. You did good. Mm-hmm. That's the one. The youngest still trying to re- repair that relationship, because what I've learned is that he still to this day is still talking about me and how I was, mm-hmm. you know, so he's we're kind of we're working on our relationship, but we've been estranged. Yeah for like the last year or so. Yeah. They, uh, you know, it goes back to something I say all the time. They see you as a possession, not as a, uh, not as a person, right. Where they can just let things go. They just see you as a possession that, that they always, always somehow want, want that, want that control. Yeah. That's, that's what I remember. That's what made me leave when I was like, you, you, I feel like I'm just a piece in your picture. Like mm-hmm. as long as this, because there was no engagement, there was no intimacy, not not sex, but conversations, con, you know, being considerate, mm-hmm. talking to me as a person. It was just like, as long as the picture is the whole mm-hmm. picture, he was content. But mm-hmm. as soon as I cracked that that glass and took, tore the picture up, mm-hmm. he was like, oh, no. Yeah. And to this day, it's just still, it's yeah. still, divorce doesn't solve anything. It just gives you distance. Which is what you need. Yeah. I mean, there's, it doesn't solve, it doesn't solve them. It gives you, it gives you the space and the peace that you need to be able to live your life free. Uh Coming to Costa Rica set off a whole new 
thing. Like he went on a rampage and you, I know why. And I told my daughter, cause she was telling me because now he can't even mistakenly or, or whatever make me the reason of, mm-hmm. of all the things he can't talk about me. Cause I'm not there. Right. Right. So like it just took away a whole lot of power from him mm-hmm. and I wasn't even thinking about him, mm-hmm. but he went on a rampage cause I moved and I haven't even talked to that man in years. Right. Absolutely. But they want that control no matter what, you know, because they, they think that you always belong to them. Let's talk about the, the fun part of it. When did you start to actually, when did it transition from, so we had this stepping stone to the two bedroom um, apartment, uh, I believe you said, or a better apartment you said, you know, to when did, when did you actually get to a point where you're able to start thriving and what does, what does thriving actually look like financially once you've actually made this transition? Financial freedom and serenity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think I clocked in my first six figure job in 13. So I graduated, I divorced in 2010. I graduated in 2011, got a job then, but then I got my first, you know, high paying job in 2013 and then mm-hmm. just started climbing from there. So that's when I first got six figures and that's when, you know, you could take trips. I moved into a, a more exclusive neighborhood in a condo. Um, they still went to school, just doing all kinds of different things. Just that. So what was that? Three years? Uh-huh. Okay. Final yeah. I had a five-year plan. Yeah. So it happened, I was saying three. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't buy the house because of what he did to my credit with the tax lien. So yeah, but yeah, three years, mm-hmm. three to four years. What are some things that people can do? You mentioned, um, you mentioned, I think we were offline when we mentioned the tax liens and that's something that's very common that abusers will do. Well, they always do something with the taxes like the last year or two um, and with your last filing. What are some things that people can do to prevent or to get out of those tax liens and to, um, to alleviate some of those tax issues. So they have the um, innocent spouse uh, form that you can figure fill out. Mm-hmm. I messed up. I filled it out myself and I didn't follow up and I made some errors. The IRS gives you at that time in 2014, 15, they give you one chance. Mm-hmm. If you don't do it correctly and you don't make your repairs to the forms, they close it out and then you can't ever file it again. Mm-hmm. So if you get into trouble and someone does file their taxes and they get a tax lien and you had nothing to do with it and they take goo gobs of money and spend it and you still have nothing to do with it, you can, the IRS does have the innocent spouse form, innocent mm-hmm. spouse form where oh, yeah. you can file yeah. that, um, talk to a tax accountant. The IRS has a, has a customer service number. You can talk to them. They will walk you through it as well, but make sure that you're vigilant on it because mm-hmm. you get one shot at that to get that fixed. Um, I filed bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. I got rid of all my debt. Um, cause there was a lot of, de- and that's another thing people feel embarrassed about. There's no reason to mm-hmm. I filed chapter seven and got rid of everything. Mm-hmm. And so, and I told him to file too, but he filed chapter 13. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are two good things that I did that mm-hmm. helps you get a fresh start. Everything is a fresh start. Yeah. Divorce, bankruptcy, you know, fix your tax situation, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, so that, oh, the, actually I wanted to mention with the taxes, 
um, for people who the innocent spouse thing doesn't work because there's certain situations where it won't work. Um, there are tax attorneys available, especially if you're dealing with a very high end case with, um, with, you know, six or seven figures of taxes. Uh, there are uh, lawyers who will help and make sure that you protect you and protect your assets and protect your home in situations like that as well. So just want to make sure that people, people were aware of that. So before we hop off, I wanted to give you some closing thoughts that you might have for people who are going through this uh, and just kind of, um, you know, anything that you, you might have to offer um, the audience who are in this or trying to recover, or maybe they're just trying to learn how to, how to um, become more financially free and um, what, what, what are your final and closing thoughts? Um, so I would say have faith. I don't know if we, I know we don't like to bring religion into things, but when I was going through everything, my Bible was in my passenger seat. Mm-hmm. So have faith, have faith in yourself, have faith in the higher being that you pray to and make sure that you, um, that the steps that you take one, just keep putting one foot in front of the other and follow the plan that you set for yourself because it is possible. A lot of times we feel like it's not possible. We can't get out. We're destroyed. How do we do this? Educate yourself on how to pay bills. Educate yourself on how to budget. Understand what you need versus what you want. I cut out all my bills. I don't even think we had cable. Um, and I, so you only need to have the necessities, food, shelter, clothing, a phone for yourself. You, you got to start over. So give yourself, give yourself permission to start over and be kind to yourself because you are going to find yourself not living the life you maybe used to live, depending on how you used to live. But be kind to yourself and know that this is only a stepping stone and maybe count your stones put together when you put your plan together uh, itemize out your stones and and give yourself congratulations along the way because mm-hmm. every small goal that you reach is a is a um success absolutely so keep going until you get to the end goal and you'll get there just have faith that you'll get there trusted banker thank you very much for joining us you did an absolutely fantastic job we'll have to do this again for sure and uh, I hope that um, everyone that was listening to this this all resonated with you and thanks again Thank you. Dream big, yeah, that's what my nana said. Dream big, what we told me, dream big. It's all we take with us, the things we did. Dream big, yeah, just dream big.